Romans 1, 13 through 17. Here's the Apostle Paul. Here's what he said. He said, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is within me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word tonight. I pray that you would give us wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. Lord, let your word come alive to us and help us leave this place challenged, encouraged, and revitalized as we feast at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, I want to talk to you from the book of Romans, this series that I've entitled Chains. And uh, we're looking at chains. Paul wrote the majority of what we see in the New Testament. Most of it, some of it was from uh, life in prison. Now, Paul was not in prison when he wrote the book of Romans. Paul was actually in Corinth for about the space of three months. And, um, but the reason that I entitled this series tonight, Chains, is for one reason. I entitled it that way because Paul makes a statement in this opening text. Paul says, I am a debtor. Somebody say a debtor. Paul also referred to himself in many different places as a bond servant. A bond servant would be somebody who was working, attempting to work off a debt. It's kind of like indentured servanthood, like an indentured slave. When the Bible uses the word slave, like in Romans, it's been a, a tripping point for many people who have tried to say, well, the Bible is pro-slavery. Well, I want you to know something. The Bible is not pro-slavery like we had in America in the early days. God is not about degradating any human or anything like that. The type of quote-unquote slavery, it's rather unfortunate that that word was used to, to be translated or that we've made that word something that the Bible didn't. But it would be like if somebody owed a debt, right? They would have to work. They would be basically a slave to that person or to that company until they paid off the debt. And it was so bad, we actually see that principle back in the Old Testament when the prophet Elisha went to the widow woman at uh, Zarephath and, and uh, you know, she had debts and they were even threatening to take her children away. So um, it was a really uh, extravagant thing. But Paul was a servant. He lived his life chained to this gospel. He lived his life uh, indebted to the message that he preached. Paul was truly a changed man. Now, we think about the life of the Apostle Paul. We know him as Saul of Tarsus. If you were here, um, it was, it's been some time ago, I actually went through the entire book of Acts, just like we're going through Romans right now. It was a series I called Firestarters. And the book of Acts outlines the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the New Testament church uh, in Acts chapters 1 and 2 and 3. And, uh, and then what we begin to see is we see the call of Peter being called to the Jews. We see uh, Paul being sent to the Gentiles. And we see all of these missional things that happen in the book of Acts that causes the gospel to spread like wildfire, right? Now, 
The Bible tells us in Acts chapter one, verse eight, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon us and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Anybody remember that scripture, right? Now, let me tell you something. The thing about Christians is when Christians get comfortable, they get complacent. They get lazy, right? People have asked the question, that uh, what, what's the problem with a lot of the American church? Well, the problem is, is that we a lot of times allow our blessings to become a curse. People pray for a new job, they get a new job, they stop coming to church. They pray for a new boat because they want a boat because their friend has a boat and then they get a boat then they fish every Sunday. Hello. They let their blessings become a curse in their life and uh, the, the truth is, is that the church historically grows and thrives under pressure. This is why the fastest growing churches in the world today are not in, in, in uh, America, even though Lakewood is huge and, and other places are huge. The fastest churches in the world are in Iran and in Pakistan and in China and in underground nations where they are persecuted for their faith. And what happens is, is that in the book of Acts, persecution happened, and that persecution, although it was painful, what happened is it caused the explosive growth and expansion of the kingdom of God. And so we see Paul going this way, and we see Peter going this way. And to be just quite honest, uh, Paul... You know, he had a word from God that he would go to Jerusalem and that he would testify, but he, he prayed specifically, God, uh, send me to Rome. He wanted an opportunity to go and minister to the Gentile people who were in Rome because Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. And it's funny uh, because how many of you know God answers our prayers, but he doesn't always answer them the way that we think he will answer them. Let me give you an example from the life of Paul uh, here in just a second. But how many of you in this room have ever been on a mission trip before? Like I know Sally and my wife and I know Darren and Cameron and Donetta and, and, and uh, Dan and probably other people that I've seen, you know, whether it be Mexico or to the Indian reservations, wherever you might be going ministering. You know, when you go on a missions trip, right? So a, a missions journey, such as what Paul would go on, it, it's different really than any other kind of ministry because uh, the reason why Paul was a tent maker and Paul paid his own way is because somebody who does missions work, they don't take from the people that are unreached that they're going to try to reach. Um, because Paul said, I never wanted my motives to be questioned among you and to think that I'm only coming to you to take something from you. Now, mature Christian believers like churches and Paul planted those and established them. Yes, they're, they're supposed to tithe and give and support, but new works and apostolically being a missionary to an unreached people like Paul, Paul had to heavily rely upon the offerings from the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church and Paul had to rely on the offerings from the church of Macedonia to send him to places to go and preach the gospel and then what he didn't have he made up through odd and end jobs and tent making. So why am I saying all that? Anybody who's ever been on a mission trip knows that unless you just have silver spoons and loaded pockets you've got to have faith. You've got to raise money. You've got to ask people, hey, would you be willing to send me to reach people who need to hear about Christ? And Paul did that. 
Paul did that all throughout his journey. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, how one church supported him and another church didn't, and one was blessed and one was not, and how one started out with little, and it seemed like they didn't have anything to give, and as they gave to Paul's missionary work, God blessed them because they sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God's word was true to them that he added unto them all of these things. So Paul is talking about that to the church at Corinth. But you know if you're going on a missionary journey, you've got to have faith, and you've got to pray for that money to come in. But I want you to know something. After 14 years of going to Africa, this year be 14 years, there are, I can tell you, there are ways I know Donetta probably can say the same thing. Other people probably say the same thing. There are ways that resources have come in for me to go on my trips that are not from what I would have expected. From people that I wouldn't have expected. In fact, I'll tell you the terribly frustrating truth when it relates to family and friends and whatever. There's some people you think would support you and who could support you who don't. And there are other people who you would have never thought in a thousand years they would support you, and they do. But God always supplies the need. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Here's what it has to do with. Paul had been on a lot of journeys. God had provided all different types of ways. But the trip to Rome was different than any other one. You know how? Because Paul got a free trip to Rome. You know how? Shackled. When Paul wrote Romans, he wasn't in prison, but when he got there, he got in prison. And history tells us that Paul died by beheadment under the auspice of Nero, wicked King Nero. And so Paul gave his life uh, for this gospel that he was indebted to. But Paul got there, free pass, but in prison. Sometimes when we pray, we don't know how God's going to do it. It may not make any sense, but I can tell you this, Paul testified all the way to Rome, all the way to Rome, all the way to Rome. And, and, uh, and so anyway, interesting, but God used this man, totally changed his life. He was a terrorist. He was a high-ranking Pharisee. He hated Christians. He was a zealous Jew, and he was Saul of Tarsus. And he had a radical encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Christ, in the book of Acts. And uh, the Bible says that he was going down the street called Straight, the road to Damascus, and a light from heaven shined and knocked him off of his, what? We say horse, the scripture doesn't really say. His animal, whatever he was riding, donkey, whatever. God knocked him down, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Why are you so uh, fighting against me? Why are you kicking against the goads, the pricks? Why are you kicking against me, Uh, Paul? He said, I've got something for you. And God spoke to somebody named Ananias because Paul was struck with the temporary blindness. Ananias comes, lays hands on Paul. Paul receives his sight back, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and becomes a radical apostolic leader for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever heard before that miraculous story of when God changed Saul's name to Paul? You heard it? It's not in the Bible. Ooh, gotcha. Trick question. God didn't change Saul's name to Paul. You won't find that anywhere. And this is my 
this is my teacher coming out in me because we're coming up to Christmas season and there's a lot of things we do in Christmas plays that aren't exactly biblical either, but I'll save you a little bit for that, okay? But here's the thing. Saul is a Hebrew name. Paul is the Roman version of Saul. Paul is actually going and becoming all things to all men because, you know, Paul had a dual citizenship. He was a Hebrew and he also had some Roman citizenship. So the scripture never says like he had, he did have a miraculous encounter, but there was no like, from this day, you're, you, you have been called Saul, but now you're going to be called Paul. Okay, I didn't mean to mess up anybody there, but I think it's important because I want us to be biblical, not cessational, right? Not try to paint something that's not there. But, but regardless, Paul has a radical encounter with the risen Christ, changes his life, he has this desire to go to Rome. He's ministering to all these Gentile people. And while he's in Corinth, he begins to write this passage, this entire book of the book of Romans. And it is one of the most doctrinally rich theological books in all of the New Testament outside of the four gospels. Paul really writes about justification, righteousness, sanctification, election, salvation, free will, Israel, sexual sin, you name it, you can find it in the book of Romans. And so this evening, we're going to, this is really just an introductory type of lesson to the book of Romans, but I want to read our text one more time, and then I want to jump into some things that I see right here. Next week, I'll warn you, is going to be extremely heavy hitting. So if you want to know what that is, you're going to have to read the rest of the chapter. But read Romans chapter 1 verse 13 with me one more time. Paul said, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And so as much as this within me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also for the Greek. For, it in, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Tonight's lesson, I've entitled it, The Power of the Gospel. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What, what, what did Paul, what was his skin in the game? What was Paul's uh, drive to actually go to Rome? We're going to begin to see that tonight. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, we see in this passage, Paul presents his credentials. Um, Paul presents his credentials to these people. And here's the thing you got to realize. Paul had never visited Rome before he wrote this letter. He had heard about them. He knew they were Gentile believers. He felt an apostolic call to go to this church because they were Gentiles. He had heard of some things that were going on in Rome. And he felt the need to address them. In the opening letter, he begins to say that I wish I could have came to you in person, but I've been hindered up until this point. But Paul, uh, uh, Scripture later tells us and history tells us that Phoebe, who was a, a leader in the early church, actually delivered this letter to the Romans. Phoebe, she was, uh, the Bible calls her a servant. She was a deaconess, if you will, if you want to uh, use that term connected to her name. She was a servant in the local church, and she actually delivered this letter on behalf of Paul to the church at Rome, according to history. 
So Paul presented his credentials. What does he say? We find this through verses one through seven. Paul says, first of all, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul said, you want to know why I want to come to you? Why am I qualified to talk to you, church at Rome? Because I am a servant of Jesus Christ. The second thing in in that passage that we see of Paul presenting his credentials to them, he said, I am, uh, I've received grace and apostleship to the obedience in the faith among all nations for his name. Paul says, I am an apostle. Now, people throw this term around lightly today. But it always tickles me. People are like, I'm an apostle. Well, Paul said, Paul said, uh, I bear the fruit of an apostle among you. And it's interesting to me, people call themselves apostles, but they don't bear the fruit of an apostle. They, they've not taken the gospel where it's never been before. They've not been beaten. They've not been imprisoned. They're, they've not even been around the block, really. But somehow, it's, it's, a, it's a thing today. It's a title thing. I believe in apostolic ministry, missions and missionaries, true missionaries who are taking the gospel to unreached areas are as apostolic as they come. And Paul was leading that charge. He was taking it to all of these different places. But he's telling them, look, the Lord Jesus commissioned me as a light to the Gentiles so that I might bear forth the message of Christ. Then Paul goes on to say this, and he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, his credentials was that of a gospel preacher. He wasn't the same man that he used to be. Uh, You got to understand, he had a reputation. That reputation preceded him. People were afraid of him for a considerable amount of time after he gave his life to Christ because he was the guy who ordered Christians to be drug out of their houses and killed. You know, he had to overcome a a, a bad testimony. We try to tell teenagers that and and people who are making a second turn in life. Like, hey, you can't outlive a bad reputation if you just keep living in front of them. And that's what Paul did. He had to do it. But he said, I'm a gospel preacher. I'm not preaching the law anymore. I'm preaching Christ and him crucified and him resurrected from the dead. And then he goes on to say, I've been called to the apostleship of all nations. Paul establishes himself as specifically a apostle to the Gentile nations. Paul's presenting his credentials to these people. Obvious that he's passionate. So number one, Paul presented his credentials. The second thing that we see, we actually find in verse number eight through uh, verse 15. If you go back and you read it, and I didn't put all of that text in here because I would have had to put uh, a whole chapter in your notes, but look at Romans chapter one, verse eight with me. Here's what Paul said. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests by some means, now at last, that I may find way in the will of God to come to you. But I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you might be, what? Established. That you might be established That it is that I might be encouraged together with you by mutual faith, both of you and of me. He says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, 
that I might have some fruit among you, just as among the other Gentiles. And he says, I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. And so as much as is within me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. The second thing, Paul, Paul expressed his concern. If you read Romans chapter 1, what you find out is Paul has a passion to reach these people who are in Rome because Rome was one of the most wicked carnal cultures of that entire uh, region. Uh, there's no children in here tonight. Paul, Rome was a place of, of, of gross sexual debauchery, uh, temple prostitutes, and there was uh, orgies of every kind. There was homosexuality. Uh, even if you, if you were to go to, to ancient Rome today and go down to Pompeii where Mount Vesuvius erupted just there right off the, off the, the Mediterranean there, you see where the ashes and volcanic uh, uh, eruption covered Pompeii and you see the most gross and vile pornographic things. Um, men with boys, all the kind of gross things that you could possibly think of. Paul knew about this and he wanted this new church, these Christians who were there to have the right foundation, the right leadership, and he wanted them to walk in a sanctified way instead of the ways of the world. Paul said, man, I pray for you often. I love you. I long to come to you. Paul said, listen, it's not just a want or a desire. This isn't a vacation trip. It's not a mission trip. I want to check off of my list. I am indebted to you. I have to come to you. That type of passion, that type of desire that drove Paul to the Romans where he eventually gave his life. Paul said, I'm in debt. I'm in debt as one being called to the Gentiles. I want us to wrap our minds around that. You see, Paul was somebody who never lost sight of where God had brought him from. I see people all the time. I'm not picking on anybody here. Listen, you got to understand when I make references about the church, sometimes I'm talking about the church at large in America, or it might have been some other church I pastored before. I'm not talking about you though, but uh, that's the truth. But let me tell you, I've seen Christians before that they're just like, Move me if you can. Worship. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to outreach. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to whatever. You know why they have that attitude? I'm going to be honest with you. Either number one, they're not really saved, or number two, they've lost sight of where Jesus brought them from. Paul never lost sight. That's why he said, man, I'm a debtor. Look, I, I owe my life to the man who paid the price for my sin because I know I was a renegade, a reject, a murderer, an adulterer, everything else, and I know that he stepped in and saved my life and saved my soul. So the only right thing is for if Jesus is going to die for me would be for me to live for him. And Paul lived his life every last drop for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He never backslid, he never turned back, he never looked around from the plow, he kept going. And that was his drive to these people. He's like, man, I've got to reach these people. And God answered his prayer. Paul was passionate, he was very passionate. But he wasn't passionate because of his own ability. Paul wasn't passionate because of his own 
vocabulary, his own speech. In fact, I love Paul. Paul Paul's probably so humble in his writings that he's probably too humble. See, we forget sometimes that all of the Bible is the inspired word of God, right? You agree with that? All of the Bible's inspired, okay? What that means is that the Bible is inspired, the words that are there, God moved on those, those people to record those words, those stories. And listen, from the first stroke of the pen to the last stroke of the pen. But what we, what we forget sometimes is, is just because the scripture is inspired, it doesn't mean that, that every single word is the thought of God. Now, reason why I say that Ecclesiastes reveals a lot of Solomon's humanity. And he's talking to us about when he came back from Christ and he backslid and he did this and he did that. And, you know, you got Job that, that said, you know, uh, this, that, the other, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. We know Satan was the one that robbed, but that's inspired, but it allows us to see the humanity. And Paul's like, man, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, the, the least of the apostles. I'm the greatest of the sinners, man. I'm not worthy. I'm not, Paul was really humble. He was a humble guy. So Paul's strength in going to Rome and his desire to go to Rome was not in the fact that he was a a, a confrontational person. In fact, Paul said, you know, uh, I'm writing to you boldly now by letter, but in person, you know, I'm not that way. He writes that to the church of Corinth and Paul says, I come to you not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. What was that demonstration of the spirit and of power? It was the power of the gospel. Tonight, the title of our teaching is the power of the gospel. That that was Paul's message. It was his crux. It was his driving point to reach as many people as he possibly could. Why? Because Paul was one who personally had encountered the changing, transformative gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to see this last thing. Number one, we see Paul presented his credentials. Two, he expressed his concern. But three, Paul affirmed his confidence. Notice what he said here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question tonight. Can you say that honestly? If it looks like I'm looking at you, I can't see you because of these bright lights. That's the Holy Ghost looking at you, not me. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can you say that? Well, okay. When's the last time you've told somebody the gospel? I hope it was today. I hope it was this week. I hope it was this month. Right? Well, I'm not called to be a preacher. Yes, you are. The Bible tells us going all the world, preach the gospel, and that was to everybody. The word preach simply just means to proclaim. See, sometimes we get messed up and we, we, we mix up the word preacher and pastor or preacher and evangelist. Those are all different. Every believer is a minister. Every believer is a preacher. We're to proclaim the gospel and share our testimony with everybody. Paul said, listen, I'm not ashamed to the point of I've been enchained, I've been imprisoned, I have been beaten, I have been shipwrecked, I have been bitten by a snake on the Isle of Malta. I've all types of things happened to me, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is my confidence. Notice this. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
wasn't the gospel of Paul, wasn't the gospel of the Pharisaical way, it wasn't the gospel of Gnosticism, which had creeped into a lot of the Eastern world of that day. It wasn't the gospel of self-help. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The origin of that gospel was Christ. What did Paul preach? That Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose again on the third day. Paul's testimony was that I'm an apostle. I'm one that was born out of due season. I met Christ on the way. He appeared to me. He showed himself to me, and he called me with his holy calling. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, today, if we learn anything from the words of Paul in this first couple of verses in Romans, is that you and I should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We shouldn't be ashamed of it in the workplace We shouldn't be ashamed of it around our Thanksgiving table with our families. We shouldn't be ashamed of it at the the job, at the workplace, at the college, wherever you might find yourself, the golf course. We should not be ashamed of the gospel because, listen, Jesus lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death, and he rose again victoriously on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave. That's what Paul preached. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, notice this, for it is the power of God. The origin of the gospel is Christ. The operation of the gospel is power. Friends, do you know the gospel is powerful? Only the gospel has the power to wash away sin. Only the gospel has the power to take a man from darkness to light. Only the gospel has the power to break the stronghold of addiction. Only the gospel has the power to rout out demons and tear down strongholds. Only the gospel has the power to change a man's life. And Paul's coming to these people in Rome and he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God. Well, what does that power of God do? Paul talks about the outcome of this gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. Paul says, this message that I have, it has power with it. It has power to change you and it has power to save you. It has power to change you and has power to save you. And one of the great things that marks churches like ours is that when we preach a message, we give people an opportunity to respond to it. There are some people that would say, that's not biblical. That is biblical. In the book of Acts, when Peter preached that first message on the day of Pentecost, The Bible says that that those men that heard the word of Peter that day, they were pricked in their hearts. You know what that word pricked means? They were convicted. They were conflicted over their sin. Listen, if we're preaching a message that does not ever convict people of their sin, what are we doing? Doesn't mean we're mean, doesn't mean we pick, but listen, the gospel is counterculture. It runs against the grain of society. It is not conducive with the runnings of this world. Come on, Jesus said, if they hated you, they will hate me. But listen, the gospel in its raw form, it produces salvation. 
The origin of the gospel is Christ. The operation of the gospel is the power of God. The outcome of the gospel is that it produces salvation. But the outreach of the gospel, Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto all who believe. The outreach of the gospel is to whosoever will, let them come. To the Jew first, Paul said, and then to the Greek and barbarian and to everyone else who will hear. Paul affirmed his confidence that this gospel that I preach, it has the power to change. It has the power to transform. It has the power to set people free. Whoever would be willing to hear this gospel, Paul said it will change their lives. Why was Paul passionate about this? As we close our Bibles and get ready to, to, to leave tonight, I want to give you some thoughts to read into next week. Why was Paul so passionate about this? Because when we begin to read a little bit later down into the book of Romans, specifically the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, here's what Paul says. He says, when it comes to sin, when it comes to offending God, when it comes to being separated from him, he said, the Jews are guilty. He said, and also the Gentiles are guilty. Everybody needs the gospel. And Paul begins to lay out this perfect plan of salvation. How many of you ever learned the Roman road? The Roman road of salvation. Come on, raise your hand. Anybody, you learned it? You can thank Paul. Paul laid it out so beautifully. About if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made. And with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Paul talks about turning from sin and turning towards Christ. Because he's the only one that can save us. Next week we're going to see Paul face difficulty. And he stared it right in the face. And he said, listen. For those of you who want to continue in sin for those of you who want to turn your back on God for those of you who want to snub your nose at the message of salvation he said when you stand before God you'll be without excuse Paul says even creation testifies against us and he warns us not to yoke ourselves up with unrighteousness tells us to live a holy life. Because Paul, not only was he chained to this gospel, but I kind of get the point that he expects us to be too. I am a debtor. You may not know it. You may not realize it. You are a debtor. You know what that means? You owe. Now, not in the same way in the worldly term. Paul was using that, and there have been people who've been critical of Paul's terms. But Paul was never, never implying, in fact, he said this, and I'm done. You can close your Bible and stand up. Paul was never implying by being a debtor that he could somehow work his way or he could pay back Jesus. That's, that wasn't what he was saying. Because listen, folks, we can't do that. How many know you can't work for your salvation and you can't pay it? There's not enough gold and silver in this world that could justify or satisfy 
the wrath of God on all humanity who would ever live from eternity beginning to eternity end, which is infinite. Nothing. But Paul was saying, I'm going to live my life as though I'm trying to give my life to this person who gave his life to me. You're a debtor. I'm a debtor. That person you see tomorrow, that coworker, that family member, that whoever it might be, you have a debt to Jesus to share that message with them. And I would encourage you lovingly and boldly to take every opportunity you get to share the gospel of Christ with somebody. Pastor Brad, I don't know what that is. Yes, you do. Jesus lived a sinless life because we were sinful. He died in our place. He rose again so that we could have relationship with God. And he said, if you'll just trust in him, you'll repent of your sin, confess Christ as Lord, you too can be eternally saved forever. That's the gospel, friend. It's the good news. Somebody say good news. It's the best thing you've heard all day, I promise.